Yo! Welcome back! Welcome back. This is truly so exciting. It's such an honor to have you here. We are back and ready to finish our discussion about dreams. And when I say finish, I mean add a single little little sliver to the t- to the topic. You know, I'm not going to finish it. I'm never going to finish it. I'll finish it when I'm dead, okay? So what did we talk about last time? Um, there was a there was a little bit about dreaming, right? I think, and then there was a lot about like God and religion and spirituality and consciousness and and how we essentially right have access to this alternative state of consciousness, this alternative state of being ourselves every single night, right? I, I, that's how I ended it every single night, just like that. And I had I had recorded the follow up to that. And, you know, as I mentioned, I am an amateur and it sounded horrible. I it was killer as far as content, like I hit all the marks that I wanted to hit at the pace I wanted to hit them at. And it was great. But but since I am someone who cares about the quality of my product, I am going to give it another go. And I hope that you know, I just, I impress myself once again. So without further ado, let's conclude our discussion about dreaming and the absolute magnificence of dreaming, how underrated dreaming is, and all of that good stuff, okay? So before me, I have a a printed out research article that I will be shamelessly referencing at various points in time. And I might say it, I might not. I do credit my resources. I will try to remember to leave a link to this in the in the show description um, because it's got a lot of really cool stuff. Like I, I sought out something and I found it and then dozens more things that pop out and it's like, whoa, what? That's crazy. So where to begin when talking about, quote, an infinite domain without limit, right? Dreams are uncharted territory. They are the, the you know, Christopher Columbus set out to sail the ocean blue in 1492 and then proceed to ruin the lives of millions of people. But his, his world at that time was very small and he was going out to discover something and, and to map it and to, you know, say this point is here and I discovered it and now everyone else can learn from it. Unfortunately, dreams don't have that uh, uh, characteristics of being able to be mapped, being able to be charted, which it's not unfortunate because it makes them so mysterious and amazing, and otherwise I wouldn't be talking about it right now. Dreams are a plane of existence that are very real. You know, people often say, oh, it's not real, it's just a dream. What do you mean it's not real? If your heart is pounding and you just watched your... Uh, best friend die and you wake up sure your best friend is still alive in the real physical world see I said real again damn it but dreams are real in the sense that they are a experience of a conscious person right talked a lot about being a conscious person and how friggin weird it is right there's no there's no there's no rules for like 
this is the extent of consciousness. This is where it starts and this is where it ends. We don't know that, okay? We don't know the answer. So why does that matter, right? Let me get into it. Let me get into it a little bit. Today, we are going to be talking about dreams, and I'm going to be drawing from the theories of a famous psychologist, uh, Carl Jung. He's Swiss, loves Switzerland, right? Who doesn't? They're awesome. And Carl Jung, his name is everywhere. I, I studied him in, in my Psych 101 course, and now here I am looking up dreams, and here he is again saying, yeah, I have something to say about that too. So we're going to be talking about one of his theories and what he uh, posits, love that word, is that dreams represent the, the shadow self or the dark side of the self, right? And there's a lot of juicy stuff to be talked about there. But before I get into the good stuff, we're going to prelude it with another thinker, um, Labarge, Labarge. Don't know which one is correct. Um, but Labarge believes that dreams are the source of all creativity. And, you know, that seems like a bold claim. But I thought about it a little deeper. And it's really, really interesting because, you know, humans are a species marked by their success in socializing and tool building and, and establishing themselves as, you know, a jack of all trades, so to speak. You know, we can, we can swim, we can go deep in the water, we can go in the air, we can master the land, we can draw resources from deep in the earth and, and, and go out into friggin' outer space, like... A lot of species on Earth have no concept of what outer space even is. Their whole world and their whole reality is limited to within our atmosphere. And, and they're none the wiser and they never will be. So humans have this unique ability to look at objective reality and then say, what else could this be? What else could I make it? What else, what could it do for me? What could I do for it? Right? And, and we create things. We're creators. We're makers. We're doers. We freaking build skyscrapers, dude. It's 2022. I have no idea how we actually do that. You know, you see the guys working on it, but I'm like, how do they know how to do that? Is there like skyscraper school where you go and you say, this is how you do it. And then people don't do it and they just, and they just drop blueprints for it. They just make it up. They're like, yeah, this seems like a cool idea. Let's, you know, let me just come up with a bunch of materials and combinations of structural integrity things, blah, 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 you know? It's crazy, right? So creativity. Where does it come from? Is creativity uh, a biological thing? Maybe, maybe. If, if creativity comes from dreams and, and dreams are, are certainly biological, I don't know if I've said that yet, but I mean, if you dream and you're a biological organism, then dreams are biological, okay? Great, settled there. So creativity is seemingly biological in, excuse me, in humans and not just humans. It's not just limited to humans. Oh, I just thought of that. So maybe it's not. Maybe, but, but we don't know. Do, do animals dream? Do other animals dream? That's something to think about. I mean, we see, like, I was always told when my dog is asleep and she starts, like, doing those twitching things and, like, <laughs> making those noises. It's like, oh, she's dreaming. Like, so sweet. But what is she dreaming about? Is she dreaming abstractly? Is she dreaming in the same sense where it's like she's, like, 
running on a treadmill to try to get a stick and it's like she can't because it's, and it's and she's frustrated by it and she's like trying to run faster so her legs are moving i don't know i don't know so that is another question of do animals dream and do they if they do do they dream in the same sense or the same ways that we do right okay so there's a lot of examples of animals being creative otters use tools they have a little thing in their armpit and they put some rocks in there they usually have a favorite rock for like bashing things open and they'll store it in their armpit which if you ask me that's pretty creative horses if they are missing teeth a lot of those sneaky little pests will um store some extra goodies in there for later so when they're getting fed they're like yep pop that in the little tooth gap save it for later so you know sure that's like practical but it's creative in essence right it's creative it's taking a, a unique situation you say oh maybe it's not good to have less teeth but then someone else says, well, that's more room for snacks for later, right? That's creativity. And I love this idea that creativity is a product of dreaming because what are the what are the weirdest things that happen in your daily life, right? It's not the guy at the subway station who's like dancing but also is like perpetually about to fall and have a heart attack, right? Who's also like preaching to you about like how Jesus is coming and the end is nigh. But dreaming the weirdest thing happens. I had a dream last night that like I was in the passenger seat of my brother's car. Maybe it was his car or not. He was driving, but he was going like inhumanly fast all over the place. We were like going off jumps, catching air, flipping. And I was like freaking out. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, we're going to get arrested. Like, you're gonna, we're going to die. Like, and that's weird because it isn't based in reality. We were defying laws of physics and all that stuff, but it was totally normal to me in the moment. I was like genuinely like concerned. I'm like, are you okay? Do you have a problem? Do we have to talk about it? And and it was just random, right? And so <laughs> when when you look at things like art or architecture or any any manifestation of art, you look at it and a lot of times art has no practicality. It has no use. It has no contribution to survival, which is what we in the modern world have said, you know, everything's based on like some sort of scientific explanation. You know, there's a reason for everything and let's just find it. Like, what's the reason for art is, is, you know, everyone can understand that art has an impact, whether it's music or voice or poetry or painting or anything, any medium affects people in different ways. And, and the profoundity of those impacts depend on the person and the, and the culture or whatever. But art is something that's persistent throughout human existence, you know, F from hands to the cave walls. Like someone, people want to leave their imprint on the world. They don't just want to exist. They, they recognize that their existence is temporary. So they want to leave an imprint. And maybe that's through art or, or whatever, but it's creativity. So I think it's fascinating to say that creativity comes from within us. It's biological. It's a, it's a factor of being a person is being creative. And that leads me to how I want to end this because I've been talking about this too long already. But the amount of people that I've my, I myself have said this, but, and I hear it all the time is like, Oh, I'm not creative. Oh, I wish I was creative like them. Oh, they're so creative. Oh my God. I'm not creative at all. <laughs> Kill me. It's not true. You're lying to yourself and you're being like, you know, suppressed. Your creativity is being suppressed by you looking at other people's creativity and saying, oh, I can't do that same thing. So that means I'm not creative. Oh, I can't, I can't be in class and then draw an anatomically correct face in every way. I'm so not creative. It's like, no, you're just not talented. Like you're, 
<laughs> you are creative. In the same way that you dream every night, you and you that's a, this is something will, will always be. You're creative. No matter what, you are. You wouldn't be alive if you weren't, right? I don't know if I could take it that far. Whatever. But you you wouldn't be you're creative, okay? Let's leave it at that. I don't need to provide any evidence, okay? It's it's the evidence is all around us. Look at the street you live on. Look at everything around you. Like creativity persists through everything. It's always there. It's like we have we have this to work with. We have this ability. What can we do with it, right? Sometimes it's for the purpose of survival. Sometimes it's per, for the purpose of pleasure. And other times it's to, you know, make people's lives shitty. But, you know, creativity is one of those things. It's a tool that can be used for, for any purpose. It's about the wielder of it, right? But everyone is a wielder. Every single person. All the time. Anyways, that's enough of that. Thank you, Labarge, for that theory. Thank you for the discussion. Now to get to the meat, pota- meat, potato- meat potatoes. Meat and potatoes, okay? Yeah. So, not to be cringe, but my star sign is Libra. Ha <laughs> ha. And what is the symbol of Libra, you ask? It is um, a nice little scale, right? It's balance, justice, and, and, and equity, and all those things. Duality, you could say. So, you know, again, dude, my star sign is determinant of everything in my life, who I love, how is all that stuff, right? And it's annoying because I don't subscribe to that belief whatsoever. I find it cool. I think it informs a lot of things. But dude, if you're if you're one of those people that's like, I'm not going to be your friend because of your star sign, like go 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 eat, go kick sand, dude, kick a rock, okay, and maybe aim it at your head. Maybe kick a rock at a trampoline so it hits you right in the friggin' forehead, okay? Because maybe you could you consider the other things that determine personality, like oh, I don't know, trauma. I don't know which uh, which child you are, whether the first, second, third, middle, last, first, second, third. Uh, what your last name is, whether you were called on first or last in school, whether you lined up uh, at the beginning, middle, or end of your class uh, graduation. Those are all actual factors that affect someone's personality and behaviors. So look it up, okay? I'm sorry. Anyways, duality. So everything in the world, if you look, is 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 existent in some form of, of equal and opposite duality, right? Just to name a few examples, right? You got yin yang, classic, classic contemporary ruined symbol that is cool and always will be cool, but sucks because it's like corny now. Um, being asleep versus being awake, obvious one. Um, good and evil, great. Vices and virtues, look at that. You got the two V's on there too. Dreams and reality, senses versus intuition, night versus day. There's no such thing as nighttime without daytime. And life versus death, you know, all great examples of duality and all examples of duality that permeate what it is to exist, right? Nothing, nothing crazy there. So just in the same way that the universe is structured in a very self-balancing manner. And, and by the way, everything that humans do is in an attempt to replicate that, like, Balance is everything. I mean, U.S. government, first example popped in my head. Balance, checks and balances, right? Every, every branch of government has ability to, uh, out, to weigh judgment or, or power over another so that nobody gets out of hand, right? Balance is a fundamental aspect. We don't live in a universe of extremes. We don't live in a universe where, uh, you know, 
heat is always dominant or cold is always dominant or light is ever present or darkness swallows everything, right? That's not the reality we live in. And if we did, we wouldn't be here. So our minds follow suit with this template, so to speak. And I want to talk about the left and the right brain in association with the waking and subconscious. So if you haven't heard this before, the brain is divided. We still don't know everything about the anatomy of the brain, but we know enough to have an idea, right? So we have the left and right hemispheres. And if you are, so the left and right hemispheres generally are responsible for controlling the opposite side motor functions. So for example, if you are right-handed, when you write, your left hemisphere is activated. Myself, I'm left-handed, so when I write, my right hemisphere is activated. And the same goes, like, if you draw a line from your forehead down to your you-know-whats, then there's a split, a split all the way through. And it's like when, you, when someone has a stroke, depending on what part of the brain the stroke is in, if the stroke is on the right hemisphere, a lot of times that's where the, the facial droop comes from, and it's usually only half the face because quite literally your face muscles are divided into hemispheric control. So our bodies are split down the middle physically, like in the way it functions. And it's it's not, you know, one side takes all. They they correlate and coexist and, and play off of one another, which is a whole other conversation. Great. Look at me go. Um, so... Oh yeah, the other thing. So left brain is generally associated with the um, rational, logical, um, sense-based things in your environment. So when you are doing homework or reading or you know analyzing social interactions, your left brain is activated and it is doing most of the heavy lifting. Whereas if you are on a fantastic date with the love of your life or playing rambunctiously with your favorite pet or all that good stuff, your right brain is is taking the reins. And the right brain is the fun one responsible for passion and, and intimacy and impulse and intuition. And that's you split down the middle. You is is two things working together. And that's the old argument of like cognition versus emotion, right? Which one takes the cake? Who's who's running the show ultimately? At the end, who's signing the final paper? Is it the cognitive side or is it the emotional side? And the fact that people try to divide it up that way is evidence of this duality of, of existence and duality of thinking that we all fall victim to because the answer is neither side is is calling all the shots. Both of both the emotion and the, and the right brain and the logic and the left brain are co-informing your actions, your decisions, your behaviors, your ultimate perspective on things, right? And this is important for a lot of reasons. So let's just making it simple. When you're awake, left brain is often taken over. Day-to-day -day stuff, doing your thing logic, right? And that's how we tend to look at a lot of things. In the modern world, we spend so much time consuming information, whether it be on your phone or, or audibly or in class or at work. You're, the amount of time human beings are dealing with foreign information, or maybe it's familiar, but it's ultimately like foreign to you where it's like irrelevant to your survival. We spend so much time dealing with information, and that ultimately results in 
an overuse, I say overuse, that's a bias, but using our left brain a lot. And then a lot of times that results in suppressing the right brain. When we have an emotional reaction to something, when we have a gut feeling, an intuitive feeling, we tend to shy away from it in favor of a more logical analysis. And this is not a natural way of doing things. It's extremely taught. It's very historically rooted. The Renaissance, you know, there was all that like arts and culture and science and all these different things. And someone said, hey, maybe this earth revolves around the sun. And everyone's like, no, that sucks. And then everyone's like, hold on, wait a minute, we can do a lot with like logic and rationality. And it became a good thing because it fought against the oppression of, of the church or whatever. And but like I said before, we don't live in a universe of extremes. If that swings too far and never comes back, then people are left out of balance. So essentially what I'm saying is that you and I day to day are living very imbalanced with the cognitive and emotional parts of ourselves where we um, neglect the emotion side. And, and the emotion side is pretty emotional and sensitive. So you probably should freaking stop doing that. All right. So that was my buildup. Only 21 minutes. I think that's pretty, pretty good. Okay. So let's start talking about the shadow, the dark side. Carl Jung's uh, wonderful explanation of, of how dreaming interplays with the very essence of who you are. Okay. So yeah. All right. So as I start talking about the shadow, the dark side, I will be referencing um, some notes that I've made so that I can say everything. So my usual off-the-cuff uh, riffing will be replaced with some actually sp spoken out, thought about sentences. So hopefully that'll move things on a little quicker and, um, you know, hit on all the points that I want to make. So here we go. Essentially, right, when we dream, we are tapping into and ordinarily inaccessible part of ourselves. We're, we're peering into the soul, so to speak, peering at the spirit. And as I mentioned in the last episode, whether you believe in that or not, or you subscribe to that belief, it's up to you, but I encourage you to think about it openly um, because I said so. Anyways, the shadow contains everything that you as a person let me rephrase that. The shadow contains everything that your egoistic self lacks and more specifically fails to express. So what do I mean by that? If you are self-identified or, or identified by others as very shy, meager, submissive, um, socially anxious, maybe awkward, Carl Jung argues that within you, represented by your shadow, resides the exact opposite trait of all of those things. So the shy person who is afraid to talk to someone is simultaneously extremely confident and assertive and knows what they want and knows how to acquire it. But the distinction is that we get caught up in the self-narrative, self-written narrative of this is who I am. This is who I am, and I am this way because of XYZ. And that simply is, it's unfortunate to be a person living a life on a planet that just so happens to be the perfect habitat for us, and to go through life thinking that whoever you are now in this moment 
is all you can ever be and all you ever have access to. So Jung argues that the shadow contains all of these things that you have, have removed yourself from consideration for. I'm so slow and, and I'm not witty, I'm not funny. I don't know how to talk to people. You do. A part of you does, and it's always there within you. And the when that part of you gets a chance to speak, its best platform is through your dreams. Because the dream, as I said, removes the ego from the equation. You're not able to think about the things that plague your mind each and every day, the self-deprecating thoughts, the over overcritical analysis. It's been proven that every person tends to, okay, I say every person, most people, the average person tends to over critique themselves in when thinking about how other people view them. Almost all the time, you are viewed far less harshly by others than you view yourself. And I believe that that's a product of just the culture we live in, the society we live in that's so appearance-based and it's so surface level and there's no opportunity to show your depth to other people before they get bored and move on to the next thing. So the dream is a place where this shadow can reveal itself. The parts of ourselves that we most ignore or choose to repress can shine through and make themselves known and make themselves heard. The ego is taken away and its prison guard behavior of the things that matter to us is removed. We know what we have to do to improve on the things that we want to improve on. If you struggle, for myself, I really struggle with um, procrastination, motivation, and the way I take on things I can recognize as being flawed because I often get overwhelmed at the quantity of things and then neglect doing any of them in, in fear of like not doing one of them to my best ability. So I can recognize the horrible cyclical self-deprecating nature of that, but it's so hard for me to actually put my foot down and address. But I know that the capability is within me because when I do sometimes succeed in doing it, I feel fuller. I feel more complete. I feel like I'm doing, like I feel like I'm running at max capacity, you know, the throttles all the way forward. Nobody wants to drive in a speedboat that's not speeding, right? You want the freaking tip to come up and you want to be hopping on the waves, feeling the wind in your face. You don't want to just be like dragging, you know, and you know that that's what you want, right? Especially if someone's tubing, like tubing isn't fun in a friggin' slow boat. Anyways, so everything that you want to do and everything that you want to be is accessible to you by the mere fact that you are a human and that you exist. You have access to the traits of the people that you admire and the people that you look up to and the people that you look at and say, man, I wish I was more like them. You are like them. You are them. They are no different from you in that they were a spirit or a soul that was born and nurtured in a different way as to bring about different characteristics. But they had the same ingredients to start, the same ingredients that you have and still have. You never lose access to those things. The only distinction is we convince ourselves 
that those things are off limits to us because of us. We are complex beings incapable of fully understanding ourselves from a rational perspective, which, as I said earlier, is far too overused day to day. For example, when I'm out of class and I need to get lunch, deciding where to get lunch is way bigger of a problem than it needs to be, especially if you're with other people, because then you got to ask them, well, what do you want? What do you feel like having? How much do you want to spend? How long do you want to, like all these questions where it's like, well, you know, logically I want to make sure that I'm getting the best thing. But it's like sometimes, dude, having the ability to rationally decide is just a friggin' drag. I want to see something, smell something and be like, yep, let's walk towards that. And I always find that I enjoy my experience more when something is more spontaneous and not thought through. Because then when you think it through and you're like, okay, I've thought about all the factors and I made a decision. I think the group will enjoy this place. And then when you're there, you can't actually enjoy it because you're too worried that everyone else is enjoying it. And likewise, it's just this horrible little thing. So we, we over-rationalize things and we over-rationalize ourselves and ourselves are not rational. The fact that we exist defies rationality because we are objects with no purpose. And in life, we are so focused on finding purpose for things productivity. We are so obsessed with this nature of productivity and, and things having purpose that we make time of an invaluable resource. We measure its value by its, by its productive use. Oh, how'd you spend your time? Oh, that was productive. That was unproductive. Oh, you sat in a park and did nothing for an hour when you could have been responding to those emails? What a waste of time, right? And everyone can, can relate to this line of thinking in some capacity and it's normalized but I'm arguing that it sucks it sucks it makes life horrible for people and it makes yeah that's it. it makes life horrible for people there's no redeeming qualities besides you know like a functioning society government economics and all that stuff that's fine but it still all sucks right except when you're dreaming then you get to dance and, and enjoy yourself even if it's a nightmare you're still like splashing around in a puddle and nothing matters right anyways um yeah so we are complex beings incapable of, of, of viewing ourselves properly and we have to rely on the dreaming self the subconscious self to sharpen our focus towards what really matters in our lives right now i i had a conversation once and someone was like, yeah, my dreams are always random. They don't mean anything. I'm like, really? That you never have dreams like related to what's going on in your week or whatever? Because I feel like that's pretty common. They're like, nope, never. And I'm like, okay, all right. Well, I just, I don't agree. And so I'm trying to think like, what's the purpose of dreams, right? Because, you know, evolution's pretty smart. Everything we, everything in our body is pretty useful, right? And it's usually productive and everything has a purpose. It's always running at max capacity. So one interesting thing I heard is that dreams are a manner of prepping you for the day in that if you experience severe anxiety in a dream and then you wake up, what else in the day is going to be more anxiety inducing in, than that dream? Hopefully nothing. And I thought that was really cool because that gave me like a tangible like, okay, this is like a practical use for dreams. I heard some crazy military guy once say, yeah, I wake up at 3.30 in the morning and do uh, maximum push-ups without breathing. So he wakes up, rolls out of bed, gets on the floor, holds his breath, and then just rips out, I think he said like 150 push-ups. 
And then he's like, yeah, by 8 a.m., like, I am chilling. Nothing else. Nothing else can stress my body as much as that does right at waking up. And he's got a point. Not that I want to try that. Maybe you do. It could be fun. But it sounds horrible. But I can agree with the sentiment that stressing your body in a way that won't actually harm you is a way to safeguard yourself from future stressors, right? Makes sense. And so it also makes sense to me that dreams, being a, a product of your mind, I think, have some say in what's going on in your life, have some say in the problems that you're experiencing. But as I said, we rely on the rational mind. So when you wake up, your access to the subconscious is cut off and you're immediately put back in the rational mind. And then you use memory and rely on fragmented memory to try to analyze your dreams intelligently and rationally, which dilutes all the meaning that they could have had. You have to feel the meaning. And sometimes it requires investigation into symbols because throughout time, cultures haven't had TV and they haven't had phones. And so how do they access novel, visual, and, and, and sensory experiences? Uh, dreaming. So you can bet that there's all sorts of analysis on symbols and what those things mean that pop up in dreams because a lot of experiences are uniform throughout time, throughout human history. So what's my point? Dreams are relevant. And they won't be relevant until you accept that they might be relevant. And then you roll with that acceptance and then eventually I guarantee 99% that you will have an experience where you wake up and you have a really shaky dream and you're like oh my god oh my god and you look something up all right there's a big uh, uh, monster house in my dream look it up and then you see a, a, a meaning and then you have to feel the definition you don't have to look at it and say well that doesn't apply you have to feel it you have to feel it out see what the vibe is and um, see how it can apply to you and maybe sometimes it doesn't this isn't you know again this isn't a perfect system, right? Anyways, dreams, they're a place for self-discovery, self-actualization, and self-affirmation. When we dream, the social and psychological inhibitors that we place on our thoughts and our actions are removed. So let's say that you have this certain view of yourself that you are uh, poised and eloquent and of proper manner, at all times, no matter the circumstances, you keep a cool, level head, cool as a cucumber, right? And you take pride in that. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. I am the same way sometimes. However, there's probably a big part of you that just wants to pop, just to blow up on somebody, especially if you're that friend that is like always super like kind and, and understanding, even with people that are just horribly ignorant and not self-aware and disrespectful, like you keep your head on tightly. And I bet that you just want to explode. And you suppress that uh, desire in, in the sense that, well, I don't want to, you know, that's bad. I shouldn't do that. You label it as bad. And that's the problem. You're labeling these very human impulses, very human experiences and feelings like anger and love and passion and, 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 you know, right? So when we're dreaming, all those inhibitors that your ego mind puts on you, they get ripped off. And then it's like you're, you're free to let loose. The subconscious mind can let loose. And sometimes it can be scary. If you're one of those people that's very, very controlled in your day-to-day -day life and then you have wild dreams, that can be indicative of hey, maybe you're uh, a little bit too uptight, right? Maybe you got to let loose a little bit and then, and then you'll be happier. 
So it's things like that where the, the symbols aren't always direct to a situation or, or whatnot. Sometimes it can be a general analysis of yourself and how you go about your day because the things you do in the waking world with your waking brain affect the subconscious brain. Because, you know, maybe you don't eat well or you don't exercise enough or you don't go outside. Your brain is suffering, so you can damn friggin' betcha that when, you, when that annoying front brain gets shut off, the one in the back is like, all right, this is my time to shine. Let's friggin' kick some sense into you, right? Right? That makes sense. I think it makes sense. Anyways, we have no choice when we dream but to express from our core from our spirit, from our soul, from the depths of our consciousness. What else could be the source of dream content if the conscious thinker, the ego, the you, the you that you tell yourself is you, is removed from the equation? As I've said, the, I believe that the spirit, the soul, informs everything. You know, there's no such thing as a human without a spirit and there's no such thing as life without spirit because I mean spirit is essentially energy and you know it sounds whoa man whoa but it's it is I mean your body runs on energy in the same way that your phone does we blindly accept that everything that is fun and awesome like movies and TV and in electronics um, they need power they need some sort of driving force and we're like oh electricity that makes sense but we never stop to think, well, what drives us? What turns us on? What makes us run at optimal uh, uh, running? I don't know. Because like your phone, you can overuse it. It can overheat. Your battery could get depleted. Your memory could get stored up. And then your phone gets slower. So in the same way that these devices need a nice perfect storm of ingredients, like not having a bucket of boiling water poured on them, you also need a, a, a perfect storm, maybe not a perfect storm, but a good storm of ingredients to make your life run at optimal level. And there are lots of people that are running at a really, really, really high level. And everyone's like, oh man, I'll never be able to do that. But you can, you can. That is the whole point of Carl Jung's shadow theory is to iterate the fact that every, every uh, expression and, and trait that humans display is accessible to all humans to some degree, right? Everyone's got certain limitations, genetically, environmentally, whatever. But in general, the human consciousness is not, is not selective in who gets the best of it, right? Everyone has access. It's just the difference of knowing you have access and accepting it and pursuing it. Because it's not an easy, it's not a switch flip. I haven't done it. I'm saying all this as someone who is very, very uh, human in my struggles. I mean, like, I'm fascinated by it and I consume all of it and that arguably adds to it because I don't always put it in practice and then I'm like, oh shit, I know about it, so why don't I do it? And that's the whole friggin' ego stuff working, right? So the shadow contains everything that you are not, everything that you don't think you will ever be and everything that you were and overcame. So if you're a horrible person on the outside, everyone hates you, you suck, right? Within you are the qualities of the most saintly, good, up-and-up person. And the flip is true. If you are Mother Teresa, freaking Gandhi, you are a genocidal maniac at the same time. The ingredients for that person exist within you. And maybe you agree with that, maybe you don't. But Stanford Prison Experiment, 
I just learned about that, so it was on my head. I mean, I, I've uh, 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 learned about it before, but I just watched a video about it. And um, within two to three days of playing pretend prison guard and prisoner, college-age gentlemen were depriving other college-age gentlemen of, of bathroom access, forcing them to shit in a bucket in a cubicle cell and not emptying the bucket so that the stench would demoralize them, right? That's pretty, pretty effed up, right? And that was in a pretend play experiment where they were getting like paid $15 a week or something. I don't know. But if, if that's, to me, evidence enough that the shadow is real. You give someone the right conditions and those traits will come out. And that can be a scary thought for some, but an extremely redeeming for others. And I want to make the argument that it is an extremely redeeming and liberating part of existence to accept and to explore. So the shadow, the dark side, you know, um, Star Wars would, would argue that the dark side is something to fight back against, something to avoid, right? But look at Star Wars. That Star Wars proves my whole point. Without, I, sh I could have just said Star Wars and then be done. I'm, no, I'm by no means a Star Wars expert, but I know about the Force, and I know about the, the light side and the dark side, and I know that, you know, Darth Vader, the epitome of evil, the villain of all villains, you know, he's, he's, got, he's got a warm and bubbly side to him. He's like, hey, man, you're just my son. I'm your daddy. And then, and then in the end, what do he do? He's like, hey, Emperor, screw you, man. I'm, I'm on this guy's side. And, and so, you know, even the darkest of the dark was redeemed because it was within him all the time. And if it wasn't, then the story wouldn't have made any sense because we would be like, hey, he's evil through and through. He can't be redeemed. Uh, uh, and Darth Vader says, uh, no, dude, like, I'm a human too. I'm just a really, really messed up one. They got my face all screwed up. So now, like, my deep-rooted insecurity has caused me to lash out on everyone in very, very toxic ways, right? So what am I trying to make? What point am I trying to make here? The shadow sometimes and is always, I know that doesn't make sense, is, is your ally. It's my ally. It is something that is there for you of you, because of you, within you. How many more times can I say you? So it shows us what we are or what we could become. It gives us a glimpse into our full potential as humans, not just as the current manifestation of self that we are. The you that you are now is not the you that you were 10 years ago. And the you that you are now does not look like the you 10 years from now. But what's changing? Are you uh, uh, gaining new characteristics and dumping out the old? Or are you tapping into and suppressing different characteristics that have existed within you all this time? So four years ago, I would say I was pretty um, socially awkward, nervous, wasn't really comfortable in my own skin in the way that I am now. And, and by no means am I where I want to be, but I'm, I can recognize that, hey, I'm a little more sure of myself these days. I walk into a room, wasn't supposed to be there. Oh, that's embarrassing, but I don't care because, you know, I just walked into a room and it's not a big deal. So just a simple shift in the perspective we have on ourselves is tapping into the shadow. It's nothing crazy. 
It's nothing crazy at all. It's something that everyone can do. But you can't do it unless you accept, truly accept, that it's possible and that it's real and that it's within you. How else could change arise but from ourselves? In other words, what is the external factor driving change? There is none, I would argue. Nobody becomes a better person because someone else told them to. And nobody does horrible things because someone else, you know, said, hey, you should try this. It's fun as hell. Here's a, here's, here's a tool to do it. It happens from within. We are humans that interact in very complex ways on a finite planet. And the different interactions we have and the environments we face draw out different characteristics from within us. They're all there. They're always there. And you have the ability to recognize that and to resist some of the automatic change that happens. You know, everything is love, man. Everything is love. Think about, think about that in the sense that everything good that you've done was informed by love, whether it's love for yourself and bettering your future, love for your family, love for friends, anything, or a lack of love, right? So nobody's just born a horrible person. I don't believe that. I think that um, the way they receive love informs the way they then give it out. So, you know, some people have some pretty twisted ways of loving. Some people genuinely justify their horrible actions out of love. They say, this is for the betterment of society. I'm making a message. I'm doing something for the betterment of society. And they are truly believing of that. And we, as, as broader society, will look at something horrible and say, that's such a horrible thing that they did. And they were living in the same space as us, interacting in, the, in similar ways. But unfortunately, their environment drew out a very different manifestation of themselves, right? The shadow is our ally because it shows us what we can be. It shows the, the best of people who maybe are a bit too prideful that they have every capacity to be one of those people that they judge and look down upon. And the same for people who are uh, marginalized and neglected and, and looked down on because of certain traits. They have the ability to tap into different parts of themselves. And that ability never goes away. We are endowed with it. We are endowed with it. The potential is inside of you, nowhere else, which is extremely daunting because in a way it puts the responsibility only on you. You know, if you're struggling, there's therapy, there's different forms of, of mediation of mental afflictions, physical afflictions. And those are great, but sometimes we can get this idea that something else has to fix us. And, and even the terminology I just used, fix, as if we can be broken. And I, I disagree with that sentiment. You know, we can't be broken. Our form is just constantly changed. And the thing about dreams is that they bring that change and that, that mutation of form to light. And they, they either show the good or the bad or the desire or the fear. They show it to you. And it's, it, it's not new. It's not external. It's coming from within you. Your dreams are informed by your life. 
and they're informed by the by the way you live it and the way you reflect on it you can have a fantastic day full of productivity full of positive interactions and you are able to go home and look at yourself you look at yourself in the mirror and say you're not enough we're not doing enough you're not good enough people do that and it's a real real problem and it breaks people down and everyone else can look at them and say what do you what, what do you mean everything's everything should be fine for you you got money you got a girlfriend you got a boyfriend you got love you got a, a home you got these activities that you're part of but you can still feel at the bottom of a pit and it's easy to get drowned by that but you have the tools within you to pull yourself out to gain a new perspective on it to take a situation that you've been hitting a hammer at with no results for months, for years, and your dreams give you a, a lens into another way of viewing, another way of viewing yourself, another way of experiencing yourself. By denying the darkness, by denying the shadow, by saying, nope, it's not there, I am who I am right now, this is all I can be, this is all I ever will be, you are effectively, we are effectively denying half of ourselves an entire half i wouldn't want to live a life with you know half of my physical body people do that and it's it's amazingly difficult and in the same way that we can live a life with half of our physical body we can live a life with half of our spiritual and emotional self and while the ramifications of that aren't as visible, aren't as tangible, say, as needing help to ride public transportation or drive or get upstairs, you need help in falling asleep at night because you can't accept that you're doing okay, that you're okay, that you aren't failing to meet a quota that was set by your egoistic inclinations. We live a very complex life in the sense that our survival needs have been met. We don't have to fight and wake up every morning wondering where our meal might come from. And when I say we, I'm speaking from a very privileged perspective of growing up in middle class United States. So obviously not everyone feels this way or, and has this circumstance. Um, but it's a huge number of these people, myself included, who have access to things that keep them alive, right? That should be ideal. You have access to all the things that you need to survive, so why would you be sad? But as the years go on, more and more and more, primarily young people experience depression, anxiety, uh, um, severe like existential crises, like why am I here? What's all this for? And when I wonder why that is, I keep coming back to we've lost touch with our animalistic nature. We've lost touch with the fact that we are tied to land. We're tied to the earth. We're tied to spirit. We're tied to the things that nourish us, the air, the water, the trees. We are inextricably tied to them. And we've separated ourselves mentally by over-rationalizing and over labeling and, and, and making everything a product of scientific investigation rather than wonder, rather than experience, rather than immersion and, and intuition. And dreaming is something that as hard as we uh, try to suck all the life out of life, 
dreams are always going to be there to pull us back in and say, hey, man, you don't have shit figured out. You don't have anything figured out because you don't know anything about yourself. How can you possibly live in a world and interact with people and, and, and you know, do things without first understanding you and how you're doing them and why you're doing them and who you're doing them for? Everything that you're not, everything that you are, coexist. And they always will. They always have. We are a union of opposites that give rise to the self. And the self is a very complicated thing to break down. Union of opposites that give rise to the self. A union of people give rise to love, whether that's physical or, or emotional union. All throughout life, we see this, this status of two things coming together, two separate people come together, and then they live a life that in, in generally is more completed because of the existence of the other. So is it too far of a stretch to say that if we as humans have notably been very um, monogamous in our quests for, for love and for affection and intimacy. We are one half seeking out the other half to form our whole. Why would we then think that we ourselves are wholes? We ourselves are, are, compri are comprised of two halves to make up the whole. And by accepting and welcoming the shadow, welcoming the subconscious self, welcoming the dreams and the messages and the, and the ideas and the insight and the perspective that they bring to you, welcoming that and using it to inform your decisions and your behaviors and, and your life path. That is bringing two halves together to create a complete, fulfilled whole. I will leave you with a quote from the wonderful Carl Jung, who provided the foundation for this discussion. You know, we live in, this is not the quote, we live in a very, very, very connected big world with more people than the world has ever seen, ever seen. And we're seeing more and more and more and more and more people feeling disconnected and lonely and depressed and anxious than we've ever seen. So what's going on? What's going on? There's an affliction of the spirit, affliction of the soul, and it's one that medication and therapy and external factors cannot and will not solve. Carl Jung says, quote, The sole purpose of human existence is to kindle a light in the darkness of mere being. <laughs>